As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are now entering Odyssey Station. Please remain seated until docking is complete. Odyssey. Dare to wonder. And now, your Chill Pack Hollywood Hour with Dean Haglund and Phil Lairness. After two weeks of special theme shows, it's great to be back with you uh, with this, a normal episode of whatever it is we do on your Chill Pack Hollywood Hour. I am Phil Lernis coming at you from a town called Turlock. Norm Turlock! Cower at my extra long commute to somewhere <laughs> you want to be. And that is TV's Dean Haglund coming at you all the way from Detroit, Michigan, Detroit, Detroit, Motor City, Motown, the Motown Madman. How are you, Dean? Fantastic. How are you? Just to warn people, if they hear what sounds like uh, an assault on the Capitol building taking place <laughs> there in your residence, uh, we're expecting a uh, a garage door repairman at any point. So don't be alarmed. Don't activate the National Guard. Dean, <laughs> Dean is fine. I'm fine, right. Not activating the National Guard seems to be an easy thing to do. <laughs> well, <laughs> I thought we would bring back for the first time in a few weeks... I don't even know what to call this game, but it's a game where I pull out vintage movie ads, I read the ad copy to you, and you try to guess what the movie was. I love it. My favorite. And so, in honor of our friends in the UK who are enduring another major lockdown, uh, I begin with a film from the UK 
1986. Ooh. Mr. Stimson ran his life and everyone else's by the clock. Then one day at 2.09 and 43 seconds, the clock decided to strike back. Good. That's it. That's a, that's my clue. So Mr. Stimston. That's had, it. How long an ad line do you want on these? That, well, mi- I thought there was, you know, and he learned a lesson or something, but I guess not. I have to see the movie to see if he learned a lesson. One day, Mr. Stimson ran his life and everyone else's by the clock. Then one day at 2.09 and 43 seconds, the clock decided to strike back. That's not enough of a ad copy to get your your pulse rate pumping to make you fascinated by that um the the image is of a a man uh pressed between two clock faces it's a little bit uh brings to mind harold lloyd and safety last but it's two giant clock faces a man kind of being uh pressed between them uh and i said it was from the uk I gave you a bonus clue uh, because Thank I you. because I like you. So uh, the movie is uh, not nine to five. That's where my first guess would have gone. Uh, no. So no. So, from, so uh, never ending story. No. Oh, that's, that's not, not a bad guess, and you're from the right era. Um, yeah. This one starred John Cleese. Oh. Or. As it says in the ad, Monty Python's John Cleese in Jabberwocky. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> that's farther afield, but at least uh, it has the Monty Python connection. Um, this film, as it turns out, got very good reviews and did very well in, in England, though did almost no business here in America, such that it was what inspired John Cleese to make sure that the comedy in his A Fish Called Wanda would be American comedy. Ah. Because because he literally was tired of being relegated to art houses. Ah. I, I'm sure I've seen a movie because I was going to art houses and I would have loved to see a John Cleese movie where he's stuck between two clocks. Honestly, fact- I've never seen it. Uh, and yet now, having researched it in anticipation of this, I, I want to see it. <laughs> okay. I want to see it too. What's it called? The movie is called Clockwise. Clockwise? Son of a gun. I have not seen this. All right. <laughs> This uh, film comes to us from 1985. Okay. And the ad copy says, a film about self-discovery and triumph based on the popular Broadway play. Not great ad copy, (laughs) really. A film about self-discovery and triumph. Right there, that is a description that roughly translates to no box office. A film about self-discovery and triumph based on the popular Broadway play. And, oh, look, your last potential customer just shows 
a comedy starring Robin Williams instead. Okay, it's 1985, a film about self-discovery and triumph based on the popular Broadway play. I'm going to give you a little bit more. They added okay. this to the newspaper ads, the final classic from acclaimed director Joseph Losey. One of my favorites, <laughs> uh, a, a film director I studied in film school who died about a month before the film came out. So the final classic oh, from acclaimed director Joseph Losey. It stars Vanessa Redgrave, Sarah Miles, Diana Doors. The name of the film, Dean, is? Chorus Line. <laughs> Steaming. It's called Steaming. It's a play. It was based on a play about an area with steam baths, apparently. What? Yeah. Well, I suppose there's lots of self-discovery when you're in a steam bath. Uh, but Triumph? The final classic from Joseph Losey, I got to tell you, I studied Joseph Losey. I was in film school a few years later studying Joseph Losey. I had no idea he made any movies in the 80s. So uh, another one, very good reviews, that uh, on my list, clockwise. Uh-huh. And I mean, dear Lord, if we are in pandemic much longer that's going to be what this show is. One week, me reading you ads, and then the next week, us reviewing those movies. <laughs> wow. Now you've hit a niche market, my friend. One, this is why we have production meetings on the air. I think we have found uh, the very thing. All right. And now, because we enjoy a good segue every so often, and that's a clue, Dean, uh, this okay film will operate as a wonderful segue into us discussing some of the news of the week that was. Okay. Here's the ad line. It's a film from 1983. The more you twist the truth, the deadlier it gets. Wow. That's a good one. The more I twist the truth, the deadlier it gets. So 1983... I recall uh, that's the year E.T. came out, maybe. 82 uh, was E.T. This would have been uh, the year of the right stuff, the big chill, uh, terms of endearment, and a film oh, that proclaims the more you twist the truth, the deadlier it gets. Is it in the sci-fi genre, perhaps? Wow, that I really don't know. I don't know much about this except that I used oh. that ad line and cut it out and put it in phony ads <laughs> that I put up for Senate candidate Ed Shao, uh all over uh, campus in 1986 uh, during the Senate campaign. Uh, I used that as supposedly posters that were promoting Ed Shao, and it said, Ed Shao, the more you twist the truth, the deadlier it gets. Um, this is from director Jim Wheat, uh, some uh-huh. of the a- some of the actors in it, and Dusenberry, Gail Strickland, Bruce Davison, Clue Gulliger. The name of the film, Dean, Please. is Lies. Damn it! I was gonna say Deadly Lies. <laughs> well, then you would have <laughs> been wrong, but <laughs> but you would have made a heck of an effort and. It just goes to show, for those of you playing at home, at least make a guess. There's no reason not to make a guess. You may, you may feel a, a sense of embarrassment in advance. Don't. Don't. No one's going to remember. No one's going to remember. These, these movies, these ads, they're, they're so awful and hilarious. No one's <laughs> laughing at you. We're all laughing together. 
The the reason that I, of course, chose that, the more you twist the truth, the deadlier it gets, is it was an eerily evocative, um, ham-fisted uh, riff, I believe, on uh, an old Voltaire quote, those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. We made a movie called The Truth Is Out There. Yeah, remember that? Uh, and it was, uh, we thought, a simple query that motivated us, that guided us. And we were hyperbolic when we said this at the time. But what does it mean to search for the truth in a world where you could find almost violent disagreement, no matter the topic? Right. We, we could probably remove the almost if we were to uh, undertake this endeavor today. One of the things that some people would uh, criticize, would ask about, would get angry about was uh, that we didn't tell people that they were wrong when they would share their beliefs and their thoughts with us. Right. And and would genuinely ask, depending on where we were when we were showing this film, especially overseas, uh, didn't we think it was dangerous to give a platform to people uh, espousing, in some cases, perhaps absurdities? Right. And I took very firmly the point of view then, and I still mostly share it now uh, with that earlier version of myself, that, uh, you know, people have the right to think what they want and believe what they want. And we don't do ourselves any favors by not learning what it is people think and believe. That there is value in forming a relationship to what is really going on in the collective, even if it's at a time when that's bubbling under the surface, when it's mostly silent, when it's mostly quarantined to uh, corners of the web. Right. And at the same time, I think we both uh, operate mostly, uh, except when we don't, in our adult lives, uh, <laughs> in, in embracing the, the reality that although even we are entitled to think and believe what we uh, want, uh, there's never any excuse for bad behavior. Right. And uh, so the question that I keep bumping up against, and we were literally asked back then, more or less, was by not shaming these people. Did we encourage them in their beliefs? That, I think, is the real question that people wanted to get at. And this uh, is a, a worthy topic for discussion. I maintain that not judging people gets them to open up to you. Right. You get an honest... Yeah, which they did. You get an honest yeah. uh, accounting of their uh, beliefs. But beyond that, I believe it's the only hope, not judging people, for making people less entrenched in their positions. Yes, precisely. Because uh, that's always the conspiracy uh, theory out, right? The fact that you were trying to shut me up is the proof that there's a conspiracy afoot. You were mm -hmm. a, a host, more or less in this film, and you were a good host because you let people know that they were free to say what they wanted. Um, right. And indeed, many people did become 
less entrenched. It, their opinions, their thoughts may not change, but what they embodied and what they expressed often did, and they revealed uh, parts of themselves that were humorous, were compassionate, were thoughtful in any number of ways that were longing for hope, might even be longing for people to come along and, and, and prove to them in some respects that they were wrong. Um, right. and, and you did that by not judging them and uh, by valuing them, irregardless of what they believe, by valuing them just for human beings who had stories. I often found myself again in in parts of the the country, but certainly parts of the world, uh, talking about the importance of freedom of expression. That that which remains suppressed really becomes dangerous. Um, that said, we've also talked about freedom of speech on this show. Uh, that uh, you have the right to say what you want, but you don't have the right to incite violence. And right. uh, freedom of speech does not mean freedom from repercussion for that speech. Okay, say what you want, but then be prepared that you can and ought to be held accountable for what you say and how you say it. Right. Freedom of speech doesn't allow you to yell fire in a crowded movie house. It also, it should be pointed out, does not entitle you to a free media platform or social media platform. That's right. It is not censorship to be kicked off platforms, right? That is not an right. uh, that is not a violation of anyone's First Amendment right, which guarantees you the freedom of political speech in the public square, freedom from government interference in the public square. Uh, right. And indeed, uh, it is up to us as a society to hold each other accountable for uh, right speech, for right behavior, uh, i.e. behavior first and foremost that does not foment violence and destruction. Right. right. Is it uh, terrifying for people to hear so many brazen expressions uh, of what many, many people, a growing number seemingly, think and feel? Um, well, you know, it wouldn't be if you'd paid attention to our movie 10 years ago. <laughs> right. Uh, we were suggesting then that people get a handle on what was bubbling under the surface, what was coming forward. Uh, and I remember either at that time, maybe it was dawning on you at that time, but you said once on this show, and you would say it to me, uh, this possibility that was dawning on you that conspiracy theories were in fact either becoming or had become the conspiracy itself. Right. I mean, there is a straight line, I think, from uh, conspiracy theories to propaganda, right? That once you can realize the power of a conspiracy theory and its inability to uh, be um, un un unproven, it's inability to be unproven. That's a double negative, right? So, so it's inability to be proven, I guess, is what the better term is. But that then becomes a powerful propaganda thing, which was the very thing, right? The Reichstag was burnt down by Dutch terrorists 
1933, requiring Hitler to have become chancellor uh, because of the fear of Dutch terrorists in Germany. So that's a conspiracy theory that then became uh, factual, became de rigueur of the news, right? If you are, let's say, a genuine truth seeker and you have a skepticism for what we are told and you look at uh, the history of a government not telling us things, not telling us uh, honestly uh, what evidence they have or don't have for going in and invading Iraq, if they are a government that conducts a Tuskegee experiment, if they are right on and on and on. Their history is replete with examples of us not being told things. Uh, Snowden revealing a surveillance uh, uh, program. Um, you know, we could we could fill up many, many shows with the things we have not been told and should have. And if you are someone who therefore operates under the assumption that your government is probably almost always lying to you, if it is in their interest to do so, um, if someone comes along and tells you you're right, and you know what else? <laughs> you are already prone to be on their side. Right. And that is where uh, you can start to get people to believe in the absurd, to believe in your particular boogeyman that you are using. Uh, right. The boogeyman of Antifa, for example. The boogeyman of the the QAnon world child sex trafficking ring, right? With liberals right. and elites uh, around the world uh, drinking children's blood, you know, which is, again, just another iteration of the protocols of the elders of Zion that have been used to uh, warrant uh, anti-Semitism and uh, Holocaust throughout right. uh, human history. It's just another iteration of that. When journalists would travel the country during election season and go to, for example, Trump events and ask uh, MAGA supporters, why do you support the president? Um, a not insubstantial percentage of people would say to them, uh, because he's against child sex trafficking. And for people who were, I guess, not paying attention for the last decade, this was hugely surprising to them. And, you know, some of these journalists would say, well, we're all against child sex trafficking. That's not even a thing. They didn't (laughs) realize that for a huge percentage of people, this is a thing. This boogeyman is is real to them. Right. On Parler, which as of now has been deactivated, uh, I found uh, this summary uh, from the Q world. Uh, The world is under the control of several transgenerational crime syndicates and elite death cults who merged in recent years under the common goal to impose a one-world despotic government and population reduction to the tune of 90%. Already, (laughs) we're on the truth is out there bingo card. So many of the ones, right? After completely compromising every form of global power using pedophilic blackmail as their favored method, elements in the U.S. military loyal to the Republic devised a sophisticated plan of incomprehensible precision to root them out and expose their crimes to the world such that humanity would never allow it to happen again. Trump's first term was for installing the legal framework for a sting operation to ensnare them in a web of treason 
espionage and election theft while demonstrating to the people how close we had come to a communo-fascist hellscape of tyranny echoing the Third Reich. You've just turned to the final chapter of a spectacular story that will resonate throughout the ages. God bless the USA. Uh, there is a QAnon-supporting uh, congresswoman from Colorado who, right. during her campaign, uh, it was brought up that she has a criminal record for arrests on her record. Uh, and nevertheless, the support of the local sheriff. Because as they said, they're very comfortable with her criminal record. What they're not comfortable with is the opponent who wants to socialize uh, medical care. Okay, so... Because of the boogeyman of what right. that means. Um, yes. And we all are very uh, prone to fearing the boogeyman. The boogeyman becomes the straw man, right? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. In your best man speech at my wedding, you <laughs> talked about uh, our shared belief that friends hold each other accountable. Um, not, not your back, bro, no matter what idiotic thing you're about to do. Hold your friends. Hold the people you ordinarily agree with. Hold them more accountable for their behavior than you do your perceived enemy. That's how we build a more perfect union. Ah, fascinating. Look, you're entitled to believe and think whatever you want. You are entitled to freedom of speech, and I will fight for your right to express yourself. But you have a responsibility to learn how to express yourself in a way that does not incite violence and insurrection right. and destruction. Uh, you have a responsibility to, at the very least, avoid bad behavior and try to prevent the people we care about and agree with from committing behavior that is unacceptable in society. If we approach things from the point of view that our responsibility is to hold our own accountable for their behavior, we right. don't let these things happen in the first place. Therefore, it's on all of us to talk to our neighbor <laughs> So still, there's a dilemma because now it seems so extreme that a simple conversation has, we were past that point, it seems. Well, no conversation is simple. People, at ah. we started this show largely because we felt that the art of conversation was a flame that was flickering near death. You're listening to Odyssey. I believe these words from one of America's greatest preachers, William Sloan Coffin, might resonate in the wake of the conversation we've been having. May God give you the grace to risk something big for something good, and grace to remember the world is now too dangerous for anything but the truth, 
and too small for anything but love. Aww. That's lovely. So, risk something big for something good. Offer the truth as you see it. And remember to be loving while you're doing it. Right. That's the key. Celebrity Deaths. We begin this month's Celebrity Deaths with a neighbor of our friend Pete Handelman. What? Theodore Ted Lumpkin was a member of the Tuskegee Airmen, Dean, the black pilots and support staff who served with distinction in World War II. He served as an intelligence officer, giving mission briefings to pilots during a combat tour in Italy, and retired from the Air Force Reserves as a lieutenant colonel. He died in Los Angeles of COVID-19 at the age of 100, just a couple days shy of his 101st birthday. Wow. His own family didn't know about his involvement in the Tuskegee Airmen until much later in his life. After retiring from the Air Force Reserves and subsequent careers as a social worker and a real estate broker, Lumpkin became the president of the Los Angeles chapter of the Tuskegee Airmen. The organization's mission is to honor the accomplishments of the Tuskegee Airmen and promote interest in aviation and science among young people. He kept a busy travel schedule for many years, giving presentations and attending board meetings. Uh, A very, very nice, charming man. Uh, Died just a couple days before his 101st birthday. Someone who did make it to her 101st birthday, and this is mind-bending, Dean. Helen Jackson was the last known surviving... Civil War widow. Right? Did you read about this woman? I did read about this woman. This was fascinating, wasn't it? Yeah. So the last known surviving widow of a Civil War veteran, uh, trust me, if your math is making you scratch your head right now, you are not alone. And indeed, it's some extreme math on this. There are age gap relationships, and then there our age gap relationships. She died at uh, Webco Manor Nursing Home in Marshfield, Missouri, uh, as I said, at the age of 101. She volunteered as a caregiver to Civil War veteran James Bolin when she was a young woman, and he, a neighbor, was in his final years. He he appreciated her help, but could never afford to pay her. So he offered to marry her so that she would inherit his Civil War pension when he died. The two were wed in 1936. That's the year my mother was born. (laughs) Uh, When she was 17 and he was 93. (laughs) Right? That's that's an awkward ceremony, but sure. Jackson told few people of the marriage, not wanting to invite salacious gossip about the arrangement. That's also how we've changed, by the way. Uh, (laughs) When I'm 93, you know... uh, God forbid uh, Lily predeceases me, but if I'm right. 93 and I marry a 17-year-old... Uh, You're telling it's, everyone. It's pretty much nothing but Instagram photos of that honeymoon <laughs> from that day on. Uh, anyway, she kept her own name and continued living at her own home even after the marriage, though she still helped care for Bolin until his death in 1939. 
It was only in recent years as she planned her own funeral that she disclosed the truth of her early marriage. Um, Prior to that disclosure, the last known surviving widow of a Civil War veteran had been Maudie Hopkins, who died in 2008. Wow. Uh, So anyway, this marriage was verified by the Daughters of the Union veterans of the Civil War, uh, as well as a notation in the ceremony in Boland's Family Bible. Uh, She never remarried. And uh, she was active in her community as a member of her local garden club, historical society, and other groups. But she never collected the pension. The daughter of the blocked her or objected to the relationship. And so she never got a cent of that pension in the first place. That's the, the kicker to that story. Yeah, for you, that would be the kicker for the story. Dean Haglund, <laughs> who does not like to deal strictly in the positive. <laughs> you know what I mean. Dean, the more she- you twist the truth, the deadlier it gets. <laughs> I forget. Uh, which brings us to the next one. Schrodinger's actress. When is an actress both dead and alive? When she's Tanya Roberts, apparently. I know. What an odd story that was. Tanya Roberts was an actress known for uh, her roles, uh, uh, including the TV sitcom That 70s Show, for playing a Bond girl in A View to a Kill. She died in Los Angeles at the age of 65, we think. It uh, it has been confirmed by her domestic partner, Lance O'Brien, after he mistakenly confirmed it earlier (laughs) in the week. Um... So what to make of all of that, uh, I'm not quite sure. Her breakthrough role came in 1980 when she was chosen to replace Shelley Hack for the fifth season of Charlie's Angels. Uh, the show did not revitalize, but it did launch her. She starred as geologist Stacy Sutton, as I mentioned, opposite Roger Moore in A View to a Kill. But other notable films include The Beastmaster, 1982, uh, Sheena, Queen of the Jungle in 1984, Body Slam in 1986, and then a bit of a career revival uh, there in the 90s with that 70s show. And you uh, knew Ms. Roberts, didn't you? I did, yes. I We shared a limousine ride through midtown Manhattan after a uh, television critics association uh, deal where uh, I think it, I uh, from looking at the pictures of her partner, I don't remember him looking like that in the car, but uh, theoretically, she was with a, a man who she was very close to. Uh, they were uh, giddy uh, and uh, invited me and my ex-wife to some underground clubs where apparently it was clothing optional. I don't know what happened. We sat there and, and uh, got out at our uh, pre-assigned restaurant <laughs> instead. I only wonder what would have happened. Uh, what they did. So she had, she was fun. She was funny. She lived life like, uh, like you would expect she would. And, uh, I liked her. It's interesting. Nudity, public nudity and offers of public nudity have been and continue to be a recurring, uh, theme and recurrence in your life. Um, Give me another hint. <laughs> uh, friend, friends at nudist colonies, uh, being naked in Las Vegas hotel hallways, uh, Half Moon Bay parties. I, I mean, 
That's wow. just that's just that's... off the top of my head. I haven't done any digging you know what? at all. Yeah. You are not giving my eulogy as any. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Let's bury him the way he would have wanted to be clothed. <laughs> the way he lived. Oh, yes. <laughs> the the uh, look, it's the improv master's new clothes. Um, all right. <laughs> Uh, Dean, when I say the name Adolfa Shabadu Quinones, what do you think of? I don't know that name. What? Oh, my goodness. Famous? The famous dancer, actor, choreographer who starred as Ozone in not only Break In, but, dare I say, Break In 2, Electric Boogaloo? <laughs> Oh, he, my God. He died. Dare at, I say, I'm, I'm familiar with these. Yes, Dean. Uh, Break Into Electric Boogaloo uh, may not have been a great film, a great sequel, but it is uh, a never-ending reference uh, in, in jokes uh, for all these decades. Because has there ever been a title better than Break Into Electric Boogaloo? I don't think so. Uh, Mr. Quinones died at the age of 65. He was a pioneer of locking. Are you familiar with locking, Dean? Locking is where I dance like a robot? (laughs) Oh, we would pay gladly to see that. Um, Especially if you were clothed at the time. Uh, Yes, he was a founding member of the Lockers Dance Troupe who introduced the locking style of street dance in the 70s. He became a soul-trained dancer and later helped popularize breakdancing in those cult hit films. All right, one that you will be familiar with, and I wonder if you ever met her. Uh, She played the down-to-earth farm girl Marianne on the 1960s iconic sitcom Gilligan's Island. It was Dawn Wells who died at the age of 82 in L.A. from complications related to COVID-19. Yes, I did meet her, and she was as lovely as you would think. Uh, She had a, uh, for a while, she had property up on Vancouver Island where she would uh, spend her days. Uh, and she confessed to me that she grew her own marijuana there. So that's something you bet you didn't know about Don Wells. You would think she would have been terrified of uh, living on an island, but I guess all those years stranded on the island, it, it became what she knew. <laughs> also, Vancouver Island has uh, a regular ferry service, so well, not to alarm you. Yeah, but that can go wrong. That's how that whole thing started, by the way. It was just a three-hour cruise. <laughs> She now, uh, she served as a uh, counterpoint on the show to the glamorous Hollywood star Ginger, uh, played by Tina Louise, though m- me and most of my friends, I mean, the, your, your crush was uh, was Marianne, not uh, Ginger. Uh, but uh, she, oddly enough, but, Tina Louise is now the last surviving cast member of that show. Is that right? I did not know that. Yes. Yes, she is. I guess we can declare her the survivor. <laughs> the lone survivor of Gilligan's Island. Wow. Joe Clark, Dean, was the former principal of Eastside High School in Patterson, New Jersey, who inspired the 1989 film Lean on Me. Do you remember that? Uh, huh? Mor- Morgan Freeman. He died died at his home in Gainesville, Florida, after a long illness at the age of 82. He became known for his unusual disciplinary methods as a principal, which included walking the school's hallways while carrying a baseball bat and a bullhorn. He expelled hundreds of students who were troublemakers or who were frequently tardy and absent. 
uh, insisting on a culture of respect towards teachers and learning. Though his unorthodox methods brought criticism, they did result in a modest increase in test scores and were hailed by some as a success and an inspiration. Imagine that. You expel hundreds of your worst students and your scores go up. Imagine, imagine that actually working. Um, can imagine. He was featured on the cover of Time magazine and invited onto such TV shows as 60 Minutes uh, before 1989 when Morgan Freeman would uh, play him in the hit movie Lean On Me. In later years, he worked yeah. as the director of a New Jersey juvenile detention facility, which says all you really need to know about his work as an educator. I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you carry a bat and a bullhorn. That's going to be uh, some tough love right there. I mean, it's almost like he was, he was reunited with the spiritual ancestors or, or descendants of the kids he had expelled in the first place. Uh, now just focusing on the kids that get expelled. All right. Uh, Pierre Cardin, Dean, a French fashion designer who pioneered space age style in the 1960s, and popularized sleek geometric designs. He died at the age of 98 at the American Hospital of Paris. Uh, wow. Yeah, this kind of shocked me. Somehow this this slipped past my radar. This happened at the end of December. Um, he was born uh, in July 1922 in Italy. He grew up in central France and began working as a fashion uh in, began working in fashion as a young teen uh, when he apprenticed uh, to a clothier. As a young designer, he advanced quickly, working with some of the most famous designers of the first half of the century, uh, including Christian Dior. He founded the House of Cardin in 1950, still in his 20s, but uh, already making his mark in Europe. Wow. Uh, and of course, I remember my shirts. You remember your what? I had my Pierre Cardin shirts, little PC on the on the upper left part of the front of the shirt, sort of where the alligator is on your. Was it uh, was it space age? Was it futuristic? <laughs> it was. The material was, uh, I think, some sort of uh, synthetic, uh, uh, shiny thing. Well, he did become an international success with his forward-looking fashions like the bubble dress, which was a 1950s smash, and 1960s uh, is when he began releasing his highly influential space-age couture based on geometric shapes and sleek lines. Uh, They epitomized 60s chic, and it was at this time that he also began displaying his logo on his clothes, which was an unusual move for the time. Um, you right. say, you know, like the alligator logo or like the, you know, uh, but it was one that when Pierre Cardin did it that foresaw the future because he really was the first to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, in 1959, he introduced his ready to wear line. Uh, you know, in the 1970s, he broadened his scope of design beyond clothing into other realms. Uh, he created furniture, lamps, kitchen products, and even car interiors with his signature geometrics. The AMC Javelin interior was famously designed by and uh, featured, uh, uh, you know, upholstery with Cardan design stripes. And it was one of the first models to offer such an option. Uh, right. He uh, designed a house. 
using his aesthetic, uh, which resulted uh, working with architect Antti Lovag, uh, the unique bubble house. So. Oh, yeah. Pierre Cardin. Pierre Cardin. Who owned a French how, castle. How? He, he owned a French castle, a Venetian palazzo, and the Maxim chain of restaurants and hotels. Pierre Cardin. I did not know the Maxim chain. Wow. What a life. Huh? What a life. And married to a Civil War veteran. It's true. All right. (laughs) Uh, Who was, Dean, the father of fiber optics? Oh, you think I should know this. Um, Was it uh, Doug Optics? (laughs) It was Doug Father. I'm sorry. No, it was Narinder Kapani. And he died in Redwood City, California, at the age of 94. He both created and named a new technology. He he became determined at a young age to learn how to bend light. It almost sounds like Yuri Geller. Uh, His quest took him to graduate school in London, where he began working with Professor Harold Hopkins on a project attempting to transmit light through flexible glass fibers. And they became Mm -hmm. a powerful, powerful team. Uh, because when he was young, he had been told, uh, I'll say it in his words, I was just a precocious kid taking a college physics course when one day the professor told us that light always travels in a straight line. But that can't be true, I thought. It must be bent sometimes. So today, his fiber optic technology is crucial in computers and telecommunications, as well as in medical imaging. So uh, it's Mm -hmm. just a kid saying something can't be true. I'm going to go find out how to prove it. And he changes everything. Wow. Amazing. I know I had my fiber optic uh, uh, fern lamp. Remember those things? When that fiber optic thing first was the technology, you had those lamps. There were all those fiber optic cables that were all just splayed out, and then they would shine at the end. And everybody would be mesmerized. Chad Stewart was a singer with the English duo Chad and Jeremy, had several hits during the British invasion of the 1960s, uh, died at his home in Haley, Idaho, of pneumonia at the age of 79. Uh, you know, their hits included uh, 1963's Yesterday is Gone, um, which climbed to the top 40 in the U.S. in 1964. Uh, they had their biggest hit the same year, A Summer Song, uh, which played us into the second half of this show, which made it to number seven on the Billboard charts. Later singles included Willow Weep For Me, If I Loved You, and Before and After. And they were kind of a fixture on U.S. TV shows, including uh, The Dick Van Dyke Show, The Patty Duke Show, and Batman, for crying out loud. <laughs> Uh, they, they broke up in 1968, but reunited for several nostalgia, nostalgia tours over the years, performing together as recently as 2016. And finally, a truly prolific uh, British film director uh, known for such classics as Coal Miner's Daughter and The Up documentary series. Michael Apted died at the age of 79, and this really was a gut punch to me. Right. I I yeah, love yeah. I love those up movies so much. Yeah. They were so good. And uh, that guy his name is on so many credits. You see him everywhere. Yeah. He was prolific. 
So in addition to the what, the seven, seven, no, there's more than it, right? Like there's nine up movies every seven years he did one. Uh, the most recent being 63 Up, which came out last year, and I still haven't uh, been able to catch it yet. Uh, But his other films uh, include Gorillas in the Mist. Uh, That was award-winning and and, uh, uh, raked in the box office. How about the James Bond movie, The World Is Not Enough, with Pierce Brosnan? Uh, I think uh, one of the the higher points of Pierce's tenure as James Bond. Um, he was also apted a rock music fan. He directed the documentary Bring on the Night about the making of Sting's first album. And uh, even right. recently was still active uh, directing episodes of the Showtime series Ray Donovan. Oh, so, I didn't know that. So prolific and versatile and uh, from all accounts, a true gentleman, Michael Apted. They say that all good things must end. television series uh, i've been uh, wondering dean did you catch the mini series and i kind of love that maybe we're on the cusp of the revival of the mini series as a a potent art form uh but did you catch the netflix mini series uh based on the walter tevis novel queen's gambit uh yes we're it's kind of in the middle of it at the moment so no spoilers please but uh, yeah, thoroughly no spoilers enjoyed. about a, a story and a book that's been with us in our public consciousness for almost forty years now. Really? All right. Uh, I won't. I, you're yeah. late to the game, Dean, on this one. Uh, but it is it is wonderful, right? I mean, if it, Mark Hershon said to me that it's uh, uh, you know it's very Mad Men, uh, which you know is an in for some people, right? That. Uh, and I would say right. that in a way it's Mad Men, not just because of the design aesthetic, but because Mad Men at its heart was about uh, women trying to find their way in the 60s. You think of the characters of Joan and Peggy especially, uh, and even Don Draper's right. daughter. But the protagonist was very clearly Don Draper. It was his story arc. But like I said, at its uh Heart. It was about the 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 plight of these women trying to find uh, places for themselves in 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 a world in the 1960s, and so it does have that in common. Um, but boy, I mean, I'm I'm I'm, I'm show making chess uh, so exciting, even to those who are uninitiated and don't understand the rules of the game. Right. Yeah. 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 And and when you think, holy smokes, how do we make chess exciting? It's it really is. Uh, incumbent on the actors' faces, really. And how about a show that during periods of upheaval and focusing on a life uh, marked by upheaval and trauma, a show that keeps uh, being grounded 
in kindness and friendship. Um, it's it's really like people people get upset with each other. People will uh, will fight each other, uh, and people will drop into being cliches. And yet, what elevates them as people and their relationships and the story itself is that they always find a way to enjoy each other. Right. I guess. Yeah. They always find a way to enjoy each other. Uh, I love it. Don't tell me any more about it. (laughs) I'm going to watch the rest of it. It's on your list. Well, we got hooked into it's. Well, we're on Star Trek Discovery. We're, we're finishing that up so that we can go back to Queen's Gambit. Well, I mean, I think that's the only way to do it. All right. Uh, that's the end of this uh, week's installment of your Chill Pack Hollywood Hour. Next week, we'll focus on, uh, we'll start to focus on uh, the year in cinema that was. We'll start to attack uh, these uh, consensus critic lists of what the best movies were. We'll start to uh, review some of them and uh, talk about maybe where film uh, is headed in terms of awards this year and uh, where it's going. So a whole lot for the film lover on next week's show. But before we go, I wanted to mention that if you are listening to us outside the USA, then you can finally enjoy our feature film, our dark comedy feature film, which is available for the first time uh, to rent or own on demand for international audiences. Of course, for domestic USA audiences, it's been available for a couple years, and you can learn more about it at theladykillersmovie.com. But The Lady Killers, a divisive, disturbing dark comedy available for international audiences to rent or own on Vimeo on demand. Vimeo, look at that. That's exciting. <laughs> I've already heard from some people who have uh, enjoyed it. Uh, it's, yeah. it's quite a ride, and uh, they are not alone when they say, boy, at first I wasn't sure, and then, but boy, by the end I loved it. So <laughs> That's what you want to hear. That's what we hear about almost every episode of this show, quite frankly. All right, until next week, I'm Phil Lairness. I'm Dean Aglin. See you then. Guests of your Chill Pack Hollywood Hour stay at the Baldwin Hills Motor Inn. Promotional consideration paid for by Empire State Gas. From farm to pump, we've got great gas. Belated spoiler alert. What'll it be? I was going to fill up with whatever's cheapest. I'll be happy to take care of that for you. I thought this was self-serve. We're completely full service here at Empire State Gas. Sure, it may cost you a bit more, but you're worth it. Now what else can I get you? Something from the snack shop for you and the little lady? There is no little lady. I'm alone. And I just ate. Well, how about a complimentary balloon animal for the kids? I have no kids. And I'm still alone. Well, don't feel bad. You may be alone, but you're wise enough to come to the largest independently owned gas station chain in the Northeast United States. We're in Los Angeles. I'm sure that you know that our gas is organically grown and good for the environment. Good for the environment? That's right. When you burn our fuel, you're actually helping to reverse climate change. 
That's why we say at Empire State Gas, from farm to pump, we've got great gas. Odyssey. Dare to wonder. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academics, support and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu.